Good morning, everyone. We had an amazing weekend. How many of you were a part of Encounter 4, either facilitating or doing it? It was amazing, eh? All glory to God. Let's just give God a hand. God is always working. Amen? Whether we feel it, whether we see it with our physical eyes, He's always working. And we just saw that again this weekend. So I just want to give glory to God for everything that he's done. But this morning, I really trust him to continue with what he did over the weekend. So if you have missed out, this is going to be your opportunity to receive this morning and to respond. So I really trust God that whatever he did over the weekend in many of our lives, that he's going to repeat or even just start something and complete it in, in, in your lives. Even those who have done it and those who, didn't, who couldn't attend. Amen. So, so last year, middle of, middle of the year, we also had an Encounter 4 in June. And I shared a message also on the Sunday after encountering four, Encounter 4. I called it Taking Your Land. And this morning, I want to continue with what I shared on the 28th of June. So if this message maybe speak to your heart and you just want to get a, a maybe just a, a more, a bigger a bigger picture of what I'm, I'm sharing with you this morning. You're very welcome to download that sermon, 28 June last year, just to get the, the, the bigger picture. Amen. I'm just going to pray for us. Father, you are a good God. You're a good, good Father. And this morning, God, we, we come to you as your children. We come to you even maybe as as an individual who feels far away or disconnected from you, God, but we are here. We are here this morning. And God, we just draw near. This is our act of drawing near because we, we are in church. Our feet has led us to this building this morning, or our hearts and our feet followed. So I thank you, God, for what you're going to do this morning. Thank you for open hearts. Thank you, God, that we can consecrate every part of our mind, soul, spirit, body, Everything, every thought, every emotion, we can consecrate it to you and say, God, let your will be done this morning. Let your will be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, I committed my life to God when I was 13 years old. Before that, I've many, many times responded when there was an opportunity to, to get saved because I was seriously worried about you know, am I, am I going to heaven or am I not going to heaven? But at the age of 13, I spoke to, to my SEA teacher at school and, you know, I got myself a date, a date and a witness so that the devil couldn't come to me anymore. But after that, I really had a heart, I developed a heart to go on missions or to just share the gospel or to, you know, just to do something for God. And our church at, at that stage where, that I attended, they didn't really have opportunities for us to, you know, go into all the world and make disciples, you know, missions as, as we know it. So I signed up for, for something called Street Work that was an organization in Cape Town. I signed up for, for that for two weeks at the age of 17 all by myself. Very, very excited. That was going to be my first mission trip. And it, it was quite wild, you know, for me. I was, uh, um, even though I was, I was born again, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I felt so ready, I felt so excited to, to do missions, you know, or to go out and do something. But 
it, it was quite a shock to my system. My very first mission trip, we would, we, um, we'd go out between 11 and 4 o'clock in the morning into Loop Street. I don't know how many of you know Cape Town. Loop Street is a very famous, or I don't know what you call it, but it's the street, you know, there's pubs, there's satanic places, there's guys on motorbikes, there's... I don't know what it looks like today. There are guys on motorbikes, many, many. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like today. That was 1993, years, light years ago. I know many of you weren't even born, maybe. <laughs> Where's the scholars? <laughs> but it, it was something that I was really excited about, but I left there quite, quite devastated, in a sense, because it was... It was very difficult for me. And even though I was really excited about doing this, I felt, in a sense, unprotected because the, the organization I did it with, they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in the power of God. So, and I wasn't properly trained. So I just, I, 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 I had such a high expectation. I was so excited. But I left with a feeling I'm never doing this again, ever in my life. And... And it took me three years. It literally took me three years to sign up for an outreach again after I, I joined Shofar as a, as a first-year student. And, you know, um, my, my last mission trip before we, we, moved to, we moved to East London in 2008, my last mission trip was in 2006. Before that, I had missions uh, in between 1993 and 2006. But my last one before we moved here was in 2006. And unfortunately, once again, that one was quite a uh, more negative ex- experience than a positive experience for, for various reasons. And I could clearly see, you know, that the devil is really trying to, to quench this flame inside of me to do missions. He was really trying to to get me fearful, to get me, you know, I'm rather avoiding it. I'm not really saying that I'm avoiding it, but I'm avoiding it. And I'm, it, it was really taking my passion in this area. And, and after we, we moved to East London in 2008, my son was born. So there were many practical reasons why I couldn't go on missions. And even we only started as a church in 2013 doing missions because when we got here, it's only a small group of 15 people, so we just stick to the basics. But I, I could see, besides all the practical reasons after my son was born and, you know, what will I do with him when I go on missions, the devil started planting quite a few lies in my heart with regards to going out, with regards to, to doing a mission trip. And I could see that he's really trying to keep me away from something that, that, that God has birthed in me. Even as a 13-year-old old girl, God has birthed it in me. But the devil was trying his best through various experiences and, and different things that happened on missions to keep me away from that, to make me rather avoid it and run away than, than doing it again. So many of you would remember last year after the Argentina mission trip, I don't want to bore you again with all the stories, but for those of you new, Andre's backpack got stolen just before they bought uh, to fly back to South Africa. And unfortunately, his passport was in his backpack, which was quite a crisis, and to get him back into the country was quite a thing. But after that incident, both of us had quite an interesting term. 
And we, we really, both of us really battled to sleep. And Andre's insomnia didn't last that long, but I battled for about nine weeks to sleep. And once again, I could see that the devil is really trying to, to quench this mission flame inside of me, you know. Besides all the natural reasons, like what will I do with my son if I go on missions because we don't have family in East London, and who's going to stay behind? I mean, somebody must stay behind and, you know, do, somebody must stay behind at the base, you know, the base camp. And, I mean, who's going to do that? And I had all these practical things. But besides that, I could really see that the devil is trying to, to plant seeds of fear, to plant seeds of, of I'm rather going to, you know, not do that. To also develop this interesting lie that, for me, it was very real, that my husband must rather do this on his own because I'm going to be a burden, I'm going to be a distraction, uh, and he wants to focus, and I should rather not go. I should rather just stay at home. So that's just the background of, of what God was dealing inside of me. And because I was so desperate to sleep, after he came back from Argentina, because I was so desperate to sleep, because the, what happened is I would, I would lie awake until about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, sometimes 3, sometimes 4, most nights for 9 weeks. And even if I tried to sleep during the day, I couldn't fall asleep. So I was just getting more and more tired. So I became really desperate. I said, God, if I need to talk about something, I'll talk about it. You know, if I need to get out with something in my heart, I will do that. So... God highlighted all these lies about missions, you know, all these things in my heart that the devil is trying to do to make me avoid it and run away from it. And I spoke to my husband. We prayed about it. And, you know, after Andre convinced me that all of these things are lies, he's very convincing, you know. If you don't know my husband's very convincing, he convinced me. <laughs> all of these things are lies. I still had to deal with the practical thing of what do I do with my seven-year-old son, because uh, to get a babysitter and bless God for all my babysitters, if, if you've ever looked after Vian, you are my greatest treasure. Okay, God has given you to me as a gift, and yeah, bless bless you. But to, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to look after him for two weeks. Okay, so don't worry. <laughs> so that was the question: What will I do with my son? And then Andre suggested, but maybe my sister can look after him. She lives in PE. And then we could fly from PE and meet the team in Joburg. And for the very first time, it was almost when all the, the questions and the lies and the things in my own heart was dealt with, you know, that all of a sudden God gave us practical solutions for the, you know, the practical questions I had. And something that was very special, the next day we, we, we went to PE, we visited my sister, and Andra was sharing all the Argentina stories with her, and, and she said, Sonica, next time you go with your husband, and I will look after Vian. And I didn't even ask her, so I said, God, surely you, you, you're up to something, you know. And I just knew, I knew God is, is doing something because he wants me to go again. He wants me to, instead of avoiding something that even at the age of 17, the devil was trying to steal my excitement. He was trying to steal that something that I want to go and I want to do something for God. He was, and he used various uh, mission trips and some negative experiences just to keep on, you know, uh, keep on trying to, to quench that flame. And God used a very difficult time last year 
in, in our lives to bring to the surface something that, that was, it was just, it was dying in a sense. But God wanted to resurrect that and bring it to life. And he used a very difficult time. And that is the beauty of the God that we serve. He can use a very difficult time in your life. And make something really beautiful out of it. He can use a very, very challenging time. And he can bring things to the surface, which is not nice to talk about. You rather want to avoid it. You know, we all have things in our lives. You're avoiding it. It's there, but you're ignoring it. Or you're avoiding it. Or you're actually running away from it. Because to to not talk about it is is comfortable and it's safe. And it's just... it, it. it's just a natural response, you know. But in a difficult time, God often brings things to the surface for our own good. And this is what, what, he, what he did for me. And I, I don't know where you are at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I really, really believe God wanted me to share my story because he wants to do the same for you this morning. He either wants to resurrect something that has died, a passion, a dream, Something that's part of your destiny and your calling, but, but, but you got hurt or disappointed or offended or you failed. And now you're avoiding that part because it's easier. It's just easier because you, you can't face disappointment or fear or, or offense. You just can't face that again. So you, you keep yourself in the safe position of avoiding that thing. But I really believe God either wants to resurrect something this morning that has died, or He wants to bring alive something that, that's lying passive and dormant. It's, it's there, but it's not alive. It has maybe never, ever come alive. And I really trust God that that, that is what, I, what He's going to do with you this morning. I mean, most of us know the story of Moses. Moses wasn't supposed to live. He wasn't supposed to ever lead the the nation of Israel, because all the baby boys were being killed in that time in Egypt. And his brave mom, bless her heart, decided, my son is not going to die. And she put him in a basket. She put him on the river. And uh, you all remember the story of Pharaoh's daughter. She saw him. She fell in love with, with him. And she raised him as her own son. But then the story continues as a young, as a young man he realized, you know, this, uh, something isn't right with this picture. His own nation, they are the slaves of the Egyptians, and he's living in the palace. And I can just imagine all the different emotions going through him. You know, he's a, he's a Hebrew, but he's living in the palace. And, and then he got so upset one day that he killed an Egyptian who was, was beating one of the Hebrews, and he fled because the next day he was confronted with that. So he fled to a desert. He fled to Midian. And after 40 years, remember, there was the burning bush and God said, I'm calling you back. I want you to go back to Egypt. And was he very excited about that? Anyone? Was he excited? No. (laughs) It was like, no, God. He had all these excuses. eh? God's doing these miracles and changing the rod into a snake. And, you know, it's just like, God is doing everything to convince him, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I want you to go back. But he's like, God, I can't do it. And praise God, he eventually, eventually said, okay, I'm, I'm going. It's okay, God. It's okay. 
I'm going. But I really believe there's some of us this morning, we, we need to go back in the same way that Moses had to go back to a place of so many different emotions and, and, and things. Fear. I mean, what's going to happen when he goes back? Shame, maybe. Disappointment. Bitterness. Hatred. I can just, I mean, if we, we think about it, we can probably write a whole A4 page of, of different things that went through his heart and his mind. All the reasons why he doesn't want to go back to Egypt. What God said, I want you to go back. And I feel we can often find ourselves in a spiritual desert. Like Moses, he was for 40 years. He was in this desert. He fled from Egypt. And in the same way, I believe God wanted him to go back, not only for his own freedom, but for the freedom of a nation. It's not really only about us. God always, if if he does something in, in my life, he always does it for the life of somebody else. He always does it for, for, for the nation, for, for the church, for my friend, for my colleague. It's, it's, it's never only about us, but this is where it starts. And I really feel that we often find ourselves in a spiritual desert in certain areas of our lives, and we, we just can't, we can't make progress in this specific area. Or we're battling, we say, God, but I'm doing this and I'm doing this, but I still find myself in this desert, in this specific area of my life. And what God showed me in last year is an area of my life that I need to revisit is I must do missions again. And I must do it with my husband. Because he wants to redeem and restore something that the devil has stolen. And I was fleeing. I was, I was running away and avoiding something. But God wanted me out of the spiritual desert in that area to go back to that place of fear and shame and intimidation and failure and everything I've experienced. So that he can set me free, not only for myself, but for the freedom of others. And that is what Moses did. He went back. Not only for his own freedom, but to deliver the nation of Israel. What if he didn't go? What if Moses didn't go? What, what would have happened? What if we don't go back to a certain place or time or season in our lives? In prayer, bringing it into the light, talking to somebody. What if we don't do that? What if we stay in the desert for the rest of our lives in that area? God wants us to move out, to go back. And he wants to redeem that difficult season or that time or that conflict between you and another person. And he wants to make it beautiful. And he wants to use it for the freedom of many other people. So is there maybe something that you're running away from or avoiding? Is there maybe something in your life that you would rather not face because it's too, your heart is too broken? It's just too hard for you to do that because it's just easier to avoid it. Is there maybe an offense or a failure or a brokenness in you that makes you run away and avoid certain things? So I want, I want you to pray this prayer with me, okay, before we, before we continue. Let's just close our eyes. Just repeat after me. Say, Holy Spirit, I honor you. 
Please open my eyes to see the condition of my heart this morning and help me to respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to run through a few things that I've experienced in my own life. And I know whatever we experience is never in isolation. Amen. Sometimes we think, oh my goodness, I'm the only one battling with this. Have you ever experienced that? You know that thought? I must surely be the only one. I know there's more. I know you look very holy this morning. <laughs> I'm going to share a bit, of, a bit of my stories and you're going to feel very good about yourself. <laughs> I want to ask a few questions in terms of failure. What failure have you experienced in your life that is still haunting you? Have you maybe failed an important exam? I did. I failed my first accounting board exam. It was very traumatic for me. I lost a big part of my confidence at work. God really had to restore me. I was, I was the only one of a whole first-year group in that specific office. I was always the one helping other people. You know, I was always encouraging everybody else, and then I was the one who failed. So it was a big shock to my system. And God had to restore me. I had to face it. You know, and when I was writing it again, I had a year. I could only write it a year later. Then I said to myself, okay, even if I'm a, a grandmother with a metakiri, okay, with a walking stick. Okay, I'm, I'm doing this exam. <laughs> even if I'm a grandmother with, with a walking stick, I will pass this exam. <laughs> but I, I had to go back, and God was so faithful in helping me. But I had to face it. I had to go back. Is there maybe a situation or, or, or a memory where, where you've not been selected for a specific part in a, in a show or a musical or a play, or you've not been selected for that specific cricket team or rugby team, and you still feel, it still backs you? you? You're ignoring it because surely that's so stupid, you know, to still feel like a failure, but you do. If you think about it, you still feel like a failure. Have you ever tried a business and it failed? Have you ever tried a specific relationship and it didn't work out and it's still bugging you? You still feel like a failure and you know it's so stupid, but you do. Let's talk about fear. Are you constantly worried about what people think about you? Are you overly sensitive for people's opinions? Do you fear the future or the unknown? Is there this thing in you that worries about tomorrow and next week and next year? You know, all these thoughts, what if, what if, what if? Do you perhaps fear the devil? There's, there's so many people who they're scared of evil and they don't realize that, that light is so much stronger than darkness. But the devil pretends to be so strong. You know, his plans and and. He just pretends to be so strong, so he wants to scare us. Do you perhaps fear making a mistake at work? I lived under that fear for so, so many years. You know, I, I audited listed companies in Stellenbosch, so that means they, they listed on the JSE, so the results go to the newspaper after the audit. The one company I audited, they rounded off their numbers in millions, okay? So a one on their statements is one million. So, which means if you make a mistake on one, you make one million, you make, or ten, then it's ten million that's wrong, okay? So, it was, it, it was 
a big thing for me not to make a mistake at work because then everybody knows about it. It's just your worst nightmare to make a big mistake. I don't know, for you, maybe your work, work is different, but for me, it was a big fear, and I was living under that for so many years. I mean, it was really helping to have a, an engineer as a husband because he was like, oh, really, you know? You know, there's like this parameter of, you know, if anything falls into between naught and 50,000, it's fine, you know? <laughs> Don't stress about it. It's been out by 10 or 20 or something. So Andre always brought perspective, you know, in my auditing world. <laughs> but is that maybe that you live under a fear of making a mistake? Is that haunting you? Did you perhaps make a mistake? And you still feel that fear and that failure. Unforgiveness. Do you have hatred or anger in your heart towards a specific person? Are you avoiding that, that specific person? Because it's just easier because you really hate him or her? Or you're angry? Could it be that this is actually disconnecting you from God? Could that be the, the reason why you're in this spiritual desert? Because you really hate somebody, you're angry towards him? Are you perhaps offended with your boss? Or your previous boss? Or your pastor? Or your previous pastor? Because offense is a very interesting thing, you know, it follows you. It's a very good follower. It follows you, and if you leave a job or a church or a relationship even offended, that offense is going to follow you, and it's going to repeat itself. And you're going to find yourself in that de desert over and over again. You know, sometimes we argue when it comes to offense. Just listen if this sounds familiar to you. No, Sonica, I'm not offended. I'm just hurt, you know. I'm just hurt, and I'm so disappointed I'm not offended. I must make it clear. I'm not offended. You know, I think we all know that offense, we've got a responsibility. The moment we, we are offended, we must forgive. Okay? If you know a little bit of, of how the Bible, what the Bible teaches, we know offense must, you know, cross. It must lead to, it, it, to, to, to wipe it out, we must forgive. But hurt. Surely God understands if I'm hurt. Surely he understands that that person was so ugly to me. And I have the right to be hurt and disappointed. So I don't do anything about it because I'm not offended. I'm just hurt. Okay? I don't know if it sounds familiar to you, but we hide behind hurt and disappointment, which unfortunately grows into an offense. We hide behind, I'm hurt and I'm disappointed, because we don't want to forgive. We want to, we want to nurture this hurt, because surely if I nurture this hurt and this disappointment, that person will be punished. And it never happens. That person goes happily on with his life. And they're happy, and they drive their car, and they go to work, and they watch their movies, and they are completely unaware of your hurt. You sit with that, and you find yourself in a desert because you can't forgive. As I said, the, the journey is not only about your own freedom. It's about the freedom of many others in the same way as Moses had to go back. He had to face these things, not only for his own freedom, but to deliver a nation. And that should motivate us even more to say, God, I'm dealing with this. Not tomorrow, today. I'm dealing with this. And now I don't really want to. 
but for the sake of my own spiritual growth and for the sake of many others around me, I'm doing it. So I just want to give you two scriptures that's going to really help you to to deal with this. Joshua 1 verse 9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, all of you know that we don't always have faith right in the beginning for something. But God can give us strength and courage. And courage is not, it's not the absence of fear. It's action in the presence of fear. So even if you do it afraid, even if you don't want to do it, even if you do it unwillingly, but you say, God, I'm doing it. I don't really want to. I'm really scared. But I'm doing it. The moment you step out and you say, okay, I'm going to be strong and courageous. God is going to show you that he is with you. So the scripture is so, is so profound because it starts with being strong and courageous and then it moves over to a faith where you know God is with me wherever I go. Because he's going to prove himself to you that he's with you. Deuteronomy 7 verse 17 to 21, listen to this. Perhaps you will think to yourself, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we? This is now in the promised land. They conquered Jericho, and now they must start conquering all the other nations, okay? Let's call those nations fear and disappointment and offense and failure and all these things. Shame. We, we, those are the things we need to conquer. Don't be afraid of them. Just remember. Oh, this is all we need to do. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all the land of Egypt. Remember the great terrors the Lord your God sent against them. You saw it all with your own eyes. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders and the strong hand and the powerful arm with which he brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will use this same power against all the people you fear. And then the Lord your God will send terror to drive out all the few survivors still hiding from you. Now do not be afraid of those nations, for the Lord your God is among you, and he is a great and awesome God. Amen? All that we need to do is we must remember, we're facing the situation. If you don't have anything to remember, then you do that I'm strong and courageous, so that God can give you something to remember the next time. Amen? But I promise you, you, you have something that you can remember. God, when I was in that situation, I prayed and you came through for me. Thank you. I remember. Your faith will build and you say, okay, God, my faith is increasing. My courage is increasing. I'm dealing with this. I'm going back to Egypt. Not to be captivated and not to be, be bound, but I'm going back to face my fears. I'm going back to face my failures and to put it behind me. Once and for all. Amen? Just one last story, then, then I'm going to finish. I've always battled with motion sickness since I was a little girl. And I know for most of you, you I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But most, most of the times, I would pray whenever somebody else is driving and not my dad. I would literally pray for two hours that I would not get sick in this fancy car, you know, of my friend's dad. I would intercede and just say, God, please help me, please help me, please help me not to get sick. So I've had quite a few bad flights in my life where I would get really sick. And if I mean sick, I use that little paper bag, okay, in the, in the 
plane that nobody of you ever used because you don't even know what it's what the purpose of the bag is. I like normally I, I grab like the other people's bags and <laughs> have like at least three for myself. I'd have had a few really, really bad flights. And the problem is it doesn't only it's not only nausea, it's uh, develops into a balance disorder, so I feel dizzy, lightheaded, disorientated, so to fetch my bag on those things. Okay. I feel disorientated on an airport in any case, you know, even if I feel 100%. So now I, when I feel sick, and I can't, I can't even really sit up straight, you know, when, when this nausea goes into a balance disorder. I really need a bodyguard then. I really need somebody who can just fetch my suitcase and tell me, okay, Sonica, we're going this way. So in 2011, I had to fly again. After we moved to East London, I had a couple of years, Grace, you know, where I didn't have to fly. 2011, I had to fly to Joburg to, to, to speak at a, at a Women's Day in Standerton. And I was terrified that to get sick. So I'm not scared to fly, but I'm scared that I would get sick and then I'm out of it completely. So I, I took a bodyguard with me. Andre couldn't go with me. I asked a friend, Leanne. She flew with me because I was... I was really scared. Anyway, so it was the first of many good flights. But, but what Andre said to me that day when I had the invitation, he said to me, Sonica, you're going to fly a lot in the future. It's part of what God is calling you to do. You must get used to it. I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> I really, really don't want to hear that now. I said to him, if I don't have to fly ever in my life again, I would be very happy. You know? And I, I had to do it, and I, I heard him. I heard him. I, I said to myself, I think he's right. I hope he's not right, but I think he's right. It, it was the first of many good flights. I had close calls. I, felt un, I feel unwell often on a plane. But since 2011, I've never become sick on a, on a, on a plane, ever. All glory to God. <laughs> but... I, I had to face this fear, you know, in the same way I had to go and do missions. I had to face the, the whole thing about flying and getting sick because that, that is part of what God was calling me to do. I mean, we live in East London, eh? It's just a thousand kilometers away from everything and anything, <laughs> which is awesome. I love East London, but it's really far. If you need to get somewhere, you need to get onto a plane. So... God moved me from courage to faith. You know, I have a whole, I can, I can make a list of all the, the flights, even the six flights we had to do to go to Rio and, and back to South Africa in December on the mission trip. I had a few close calls. There were times I didn't feel well, but not once I got sick. So for, I've never did six flights in, what, 12 days, never I was like, God, how am I going to do this? You know, that was one of the reasons I didn't want to do missions with my husband because I'm going to get sick on the plane and he wants to focus and now he's sitting with his wife and, you know, and she's pathetic and she can't even sit up straight. <laughs> so I was, I really had to face all these things and God just showed himself strong to me. And this is what he wants to do for you today. You know, I had to go to Brazil. I had to experience their worship. I wish I could just take our church and put it there for two minutes to experience their worship. I had to experience a, a humility and an authority in worship 
that I desire with all of my heart. You know, I had to, I had to go to Brazil to fly the six times and see God coming through for me. You know, I had to go with my husband and see I'm not a burden but a blessing. I mean, <laughs> I had to leave my son behind and observed how he had this awesome adventure without me. You know, it's so against the rules to have a, an adventure without me. I always tell Andre, you're not allowed to have fun without me, okay? <laughs> and now my son had this glorious adventure, and I wasn't there, and I just realized, God, you are so good to me. You are so good to me. I scoped with Vian every day, and I spoke to him, and he was just happy. He slept well. He was just happy-go-lucky, and God just did it for me because he knew. He knew it was time. It was time to redeem something. You know, I had to, to pray for people. At, we had evening services and went on for hours and hours and millions of years. You know, it felt like millions of years. And I had to pray for people and people and more people and more people and more people until I thought I'm either going to faint or cry or freak out <laughs> if I must pray for one more person. And I just saw God work through me in that place of, God, I can't do it anymore. You know, we, I had to go through an armed robbery that Andre spoke about in previous services and just saw how God is so faithful. And I saw again how the devil wanted to tell me, missions is dangerous. You can't go on missions. Maybe something is going to happen to you. And I had to face those fears again. You know, what if something worse happened and my son, who really trusted that I was coming back, was never going to see me again. I had to face those things and just realized God is faithful. And he holds the keys of life and death. And he's, he's faithful and he's, he's with me. I had to face that, you know. So God wants to do something in you this morning. He wants to do something in your heart. Because he doesn't want you to stay in a, in a spiritual desert of fear, failure, offense, or disappointment. He wants you to move, to revisit that place. And he wants you to be free so that that can lead to the freedom of others. Amen? So are you ready this morning to respond? I really trust that God's going to highlight something. You know, 1 John 1, 7, my last scripture, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, now, I know we think fear isn't sin and failure isn't sin and offense isn't sin. But we have, a, we have an idea of sin. We have an idea that surely I must have done something wrong to sin. And sin is simply just to miss the mark. Sin is simply just to, to miss God's will for your life or to miss his plans or to misinterpret who he is. So we all have something to, to revisit, to say, God, I want you to cleanse me. But the starting point is just to say, I'm going to walk in the light. And I had to revisit so many things last year, so many things. And God used a difficult time just to say, I'm launching you. I'm launching you into a bigger part of what I'm calling you to do. And it's glorious. It's freedom. I feel like a different person to last year. 
And I so want you to experience the same.